like that. And, yeah. First Corinthians chapter three. First Corinthians chapter three. The church at Corinth had a lot of problems, and it's well known for that. Um, and those problems actually continued well into the second century. There's actually letters written that you can actually read from other pastors trying to help out the church of Corinth well into the second century. Um, and they had issues with pride, and, and even, even how they ran their service was not proper, it was not orderly, it wasn't conducive to spiritual growth. They had sin issues that they took pride in the fact that they weren't dealing with it. It wasn't that they believed that the sin was okay. They just took pride in the fact that, hey, we don't mind. You can sit right there and, and, and that's just fine. They took pride in that. Um, they had, it was, uh, again, they had, the sign gifts were still in place. They had issues, of course, with the sign gifts and what was going on. You know, as that also was becoming a source of pride for them. There, there was divisions in the church. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, well, I do like this. Let me say, before I read chapter 3, I like what Paul says in chapter 2. Um, he, he reminds him of a few things. And uh, um, he says in verse 1, And I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. He said, I didn't come to you. I, I, he said, I didn't sit down and figure out all my vocabulary with excellency of speech and how I'm going to do this. He said, verse 2, For I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. He made it all about Christ when He went there. He said, it's not going to be about me. I, I didn't, I didn't. Paul said, I didn't decide to try and use my level of education there. And I'm head to Corinth and I'm going to impress them because I did nothing of the sort. I determined to know nothing among you save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. That's what I focused on. And that's what he's trying to get them back to is to realize what it's actually all about. That it's actually about Christ. And he says, that my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. That your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. And so he's building from that now. And we get into chapter 3, and he says in verse number 1, And I, brethren, cannot speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. I have fed you with milk and not with meat. For hitherto ye were not able to bear it. Neither yet now are you able, for ye are yet carnal, for whereas there is among you envying and strife and divisions, are you not carnal and walk as men? Let's go ahead and pray. Father in heaven, Lord, we love you. Lord, we thank you for your word. And Lord, I ask your blessing upon the service tonight. Lord, I pray that you'd help us. Lord, as we, as we look at some things in your word that will help us growing spiritually and not just staying in one place. Lord, please use it. Control what I say and how I say it. Help me to stay true to your word. And again, Lord, I love you, and I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So the Christians at Corinth were struggling um, when it came to Christian growth. Chapter 3, Paul just flat out tells them, you are carnal. That's my problem. He said, I, I should be able to come in here and actually give you some meat of the things of God that I'm not able to, because you're not going to be able to bear it. 
Um, it's just going to go right over your head or you're going to choke on it. It's just not going to take place. I still have to give you meat right now. And you can see the level of frustration and the seriousness with, with how he is dealing with this church, which I've mentioned this before. It always amazed me. When I was in Alamogordo in my first assignment, back when Pastor Willie Bird was my pastor for those uh, four or five years, we had a Baptist church in town that called themselves Corinth Baptist Church. That was just shocking to me. I could never imagine... Yeah, maybe we should have a church vote right now if we should switch our name to Corinth. It is shorter. You know, writing, writing those checks will be easier instead of writing them all out right now. But really, they did. That's an actual church name, Corinth Baptist Church. Just astounding to me that they would name themselves that. So this church was one that was struggling with genuine spiritual growth. They weren't necessarily struggling with numbers, except for the ones that God was killing because they also weren't doing communion right. But they, they had the numbers. They had people coming into their services, but there was zero growth taking place. He said, because look what's taking place. There's envy and there's strife, there's division. There's all these things that you're dealing with because there's no growth. <clears throat> Spiritual growth will always get attacked. We're supposed to be progressing in our Christian, in our Christian life. There is a, a progressiveness to sanctification that we receive once we're saved. We are to work out all that we received with our salvation with fear and trembling, as Paul puts it in Philippians chapter 2. There's much that we received. And there's a growth that genuinely has to take place in your life. But many times you can just get stuck in a rut. And it just stays there. And there's no genuine growth. When, as we, we should be continually growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the grace should be continual. But we have an example here of where there was no growth taking place. None. It wasn't due to the church not having numbers. They had things set. We know they were having services. Um, but you can look at all the problems. And it completely, uh, um, what's the word? Stunted growth? Is that the right word? Am I using that right? It just completely hindered all the growth that should have been happening. Look over Numbers, chapter 13. When I think of Corinth, I also think of what took place in the wilderness with the carnality that was present there. And even though they had witnessed miracles, but keep in mind, they had the sign gifts taking place there. They had people in their service could, could stand up and they were boastful about it. And, and speak in another language just like that. Um, so they witnessed things taking place. You had the apostles that were performing incredible miracles. And so, Numbers chapter 13, we have sort of a parallel group of people. And I want to highlight a few things about it here between these two groups, things that will hopefully help us to grow, as we should. I'm going to jump around here a little bit. Let me see where I want to start. Um, verse 26, it says, And when they came to Moses and to Aaron and to all the congregation, these are the spies returning from the promised land. <clears throat> um, and to the, uh, all the congregation children of Israel... Uh, unto the wilderness of Paran to uh, Kedesh, and brought back word unto them and unto all the congregation, and showed them the fruit of the land. And they told him and said, We came unto the land whither thou sent us, sentest us, and surely it floweth with milk and honey, and this is the fruit of it. Nevertheless, 
The people be strong that dwell in the land, and the cities are walled and very great. And moreover, we saw the children of Anak there. The Amicalites dwell in the land of the south, the Hittites and the Jebusites, and the Amorites dwell in the mountains, and the Canaanites dwell by the sea and by the coast of Jordan. And Caleb stilled the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and possess it, for we are well able to overcome it. But the men that went up with him said, We be not able to come up against this people, for they are stronger than we. And they brought an evil report of the land, which they had searched unto the children of Israel, saying, The land for which we have gone to search it, it is a land, it is a land that eateth up the inhabitants thereof. And all the people that we saw in it are men of great stature. And there we saw the giants, the son of Anak, which were come of the giants, and we were in our own sight as grasshoppers, so we were in their sight. Here's the congregation's response. They lifted up their voice and cried, and all the people wept. All, and all the children of Israel murmured against Moses and against Aaron and the whole congregation and said unto them, Would God we had died in the land of Egypt, or would God we had died in this wilderness? And wherefore hath the Lord brought us unto the land to fall by the sword, that our wives and our children should be a prey? Were it not better for us to return in Egypt? Somehow they know the future. They already know what's going to happen. None of it's true. That happens to us so often. We think we just know exactly what's going to happen. But we don't. <clears throat> Verse 4, here's what they said. And, let us, and they said one to another, let us make a captain. Let us return into Egypt. Then Moses and Aaron. He's almost in Paul's place with corn, just frustrated at this incredible carnalness of all that they've been witnessing in the past 18 months. That's going all the way back when they're, when they're well into their captivity, still in Egypt. Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before all the assembly of the congregation of the children of Israel. And Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, which were of them that searched the land, rent their clothes, spake unto all the company of the children of Israel, saying, The land which we pass through to search it is an exceeding good land. We can so often just focus on the negative instead of the positive. Your growth is stu- it, it, it's, it's prevented right there. When you begin to focus just on the negative instead of the positive, your spiritual growth is going nowhere. It's going to stop. It's going to hinder. Because you're refusing to see where God's hand is working. You're no longer seeing God in control. They reminded him, no, you're, 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 you're missing out. The land which God has given to us, is, it's a great land. This is a land we can live in, we can feed our children and we can grow in. He said, this is all we need to worry about. If the Lord delight in us, that's your concentration. It's right there. If the Lord delight in us. In us. The concentration is not the giants. It's none of those things. It's the Lord. And being in a place where you're in favor with God. And, and my, 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 that ties in with grace and whatnot. But, but uh, we're going to tie this into our spiritual growth. Because it's not happening here. It's not happening in Corinth. It's so common to simply allow our flesh. Just like we see in Corinth. You can come to church or you can be sitting underneath Moses and Aaron. And have no growth taking place. 
Nothing. It's not just the presence that makes the difference. It's the heart. See, it's different. You think if you go and you water a plant, it's it's going to grow. That's true. But you can sit here because the difference is what takes place in your heart. And you can hear it. You can have the watering taking place, if you will, that should lead to growth. But with us, no, that's, that's not where it ends. That's essential for growth to take place, but that's not where it stops. It's what you do with it. For instance, they were hearing the Word of God here in Numbers. They were also, of course, in Corinth. And here in Numbers, though, they could not, they could care less about what Joshua and Caleb were saying. This is a great land, flowing with milk and honey. I don't care that it's a great land. I saw the cities that were there. They were walled. The children of the Anakins are present there. These guys are huge. What are we going to do to them? That's all they focused on was that. Where Moses is trying to remember, say, listen, if the Lord delight in us, because there's not one giant bigger than God. None. Not one. Not one thing that they will face that is bigger than God. The key was their growth in relation to the Lord. If the Lord delight in us, then He will bring us into this land and give it us a land which flows with milk and honey. Only rebel not ye against the Lord, neither fear ye the people of the land, for they are bred for us. Their defense is departed from Him, and the Lord is with us. Fear them not. <laughs> Here's the congregation's response. But the congregation bade stone them with stones. Let's kill them. Incredible. Let's kill them. Imagine Moses, all that you've been through already. And he's getting ready to go through so much more. You know, it, it, it certainly was wrong to prevent him. God did allow him to see the promised land. But you can see later on when he's traveling with this group, all these years in the wilderness where he hits that stone twice. Which he shouldn't have. He should have just spake to it as the Lord commanded him. But here are the people. Let, let, let's, let's take out Moses. And the glory of the Lord appeared in the tabernacle of the congregation of the children of Israel. And then the Lord speaks. A series of carnality. There was no growth taking place. And the problem was, because the growth was so hindered, not where it should be, that when they actually faced a situation which required faith, they were incapable of making it. They weren't capable. They should have been, just like in Corinth, they, Paul should be able to come and actually begin to give them meat. Growth to really begin to take place then. But it wasn't possible. Now let's bring it to 2022 in Anchorage, Alaska, here at the Independent Baptist Church. The Lord desires us to grow. We should constantly be on a progression that is growing in our faith. That's growing in our faith. The Lord desires that, but so often we can get hindered, prevented to where we're just stuck or going backwards. Stuck or going backwards. And listen, when you decide to get serious with your faith, uh, um, you know, it's, it's, 
And we're going to get into this. There, there's battles that are going to take place. For some, there's a catalyst that takes place sometimes in their life. Sometimes the Lord has to put a catalyst into your life to kick you into gear spiritually. You're in a rut. You're stuck. Whatever. You're content at that level. And there are times that the Lord has to put a, throw a catalyst into place to get your attention. To wake that up. To begin to get you more serious with what he needs to deal with in your life. To allow growth to happen. For others, sometimes it's just that, which that should be true in, I believe in all cases, when genuine salvation occurs, when conversion happens, there should be a desire immediately for the sincere milk of the Word of God. Growth begins. But if you're going to grow spiritually, you have to determine to take it seriously. That's what Paul's trying to do. Paul's reminded him in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, I'm trying to get you back what's going to help you grow. To get you out of the carnality. So let me give a few things here and then we'll go home here this evening to try and help you in spiritual growth to try and eliminate the things that can hinder your growth. Some I've already covered. Let me give a few more here. What we see in Numbers and other places, I was going to use, there's different things I was going to use throughout this, um, but I'm, I'm just going to make the point and, and go on here. When you determine that you are getting serious with your Christian life, that you actually want to grow, that you see it, the desire's there, and, and maybe even come during a service and, and you get before God, you're not being a hypocrite at all. You're saying, Lord, I, I want to be serious with this. I want to grow. I want to change. Every time, opposition will come. Every time. Opposition will come. The giants will come up. The Anakins will be present. There's a genuine spiritual warfare that takes place. Many, too often we're just, it's almost as if people are stunned that there was opposition and they just quit. You're going to face opposition when you take the Lord serious. It's going to happen. There are enemies. Again, as you begin to genuinely walk in the Spirit, Satan will begin to attack. Because now you're dangerous. <laughs> you're dangerous right now. A changed life, you becoming salt and light. Satan has a lot of different tactics when it comes to the opposition that you face. Sometimes it's not a giant. A lot of times it's personal things in our own mind. Satan's one of Satan's greatest lies is this. You can't live it. Do you know how many people don't progress with their Christian life simply because they believe the lie? You can't do it. Look how many times you failed. Just stop. You're looking foolish. You look stupid. Stop. Satan uses that one really good. He does. Now understand this. When it comes to our spiritual growth, if, if that's you right now, there's some really good news with this. Satan's always good at putting truth in with a lie. That's how he does it. He gives enough truth, twists it, puts the lie in that you believe it. The truth is, you can't live the Christian life. But there's more to the story. The moment you got saved, God's Holy Spirit indwelled you and sealed you into the day of redemption. 
That's when you get into Romans. That, that's what's amazing. The book of Romans is so incredible. We will go through it. I'm just worried it's going to take me 52 years to get through it. And being 52, I'd, be a, I'd still need to be alive at 104. Maybe that's a good way to have those years. Lord, I have to finish the book of Romans. When I finish the book of Romans, you can take me. But you get into Romans 6, 7, and 8. All right. After that, it gets parenthetical for the next couple of chapters. It picks up again in chapter 12. All right. Basically, go from 8 to 12, it gets back on track. 9, 10, and 11 are actually just parenthetical chapters in the book of Romans. And Romans chapter 7 is, it, it might, I don't know, there's just a lot of really good chapters in, chapter seven, in, in the book of Romans. But chapter 7 might be my favorite. Because in my mind, you have the greatest Christian who ever lived talking about his own walk. The good that I would, I do not. Yet the evil that I would, not that I do. He goes, I, I find in this law, this war that's raging within me. Um, he, I used to be able to quote the entire half of that chapter. It's escaping me right now, I'm old. Uh, but he gets into the battle that is within. Who shall deliver me from the body of this death? Chapter 8 is the answer. Well, you should do in your Bible every time. If you just read a chapter a day, you have to look at Romans Romans 7. You don't ever stop at Romans 7. You go into Romans chapter 8. Go into Romans chapter 8. Just pretend it's one giant chapter for you. Because chapter 8 is the answer. He said... Basically, what he realizes this is what he had in the Spirit of God, in the indwelling Spirit of God. That that was the key. And listen, I remember being taught this wrong and independent, fundamental Baptist churches when I was a teenager. I mean, and I read the books on it, and I'm telling you, it just simply wasn't true. They made it as if being filled with the Spirit and walking in the Spirit was this mystical experience. Everybody's always thinking something mystical. From listening to them talk, yeah, so I remember now. And I'd read all the Bible, every single Bible they said to read. I read them, and I read them, and I read them, and I started seeking it. And, and, and they talked how the one preacher talked, yes, I was on my father's grave for year after year, or day after day, week after week. I don't know how long I was there. But when I left, I had it. And when you're 17 and you believe that, It's not some mystic experience. What he was describing is nowhere in the Word of God. They say, oh, yes, it was. You read Acts chapter 2. Okay, we're going to compare that to the day of Pentecost. The official, the time that God had anointed in all of world history, that special day when man became the temple of the Holy Ghost. It's no longer the tabernacle. It's no longer a temple built with hands. And you're going to tell me that's the same thing? No way. I think Paul put a great in 1 Corinthians to a carnal church when he was trying to help them with it. Know what he said? 1 Corinthians 15, 31. I die daily. That's what he said. Know what I began to discover? It's a daily surrendering to the Lord. It's every day getting up. Okay, it's a new day. This needs to be the Lord's. It's His. It's not a one-time mystical, I had the dream. No. That just makes you look. No, that goes back to the carnality of Corinth and pride. Because you're almost like the Gnostics of the first century and the second century. You got something nobody else did. You're special. When it comes to Christian growth, let me get back on, on track with this. You're going to face opposition. 
You're going to face opposition from self primarily. Of self telling you can't do it. And again, I've said this before because it's so true. What you convince yourself you are, that's what your, that's what your actions will follow. Every time. You have to change that in how you think. <clears throat> and I've, I've given the different examples out of it. Um, and, and, and one that I think works well, I, I've, I've given it before. It might, might have just been a minute of faith. I don't remember. Um, but you can take two people who both have quit smoking. All right? And you go to the first one and you say, hey, and the person, maybe they're out and a friend who also offers him a cigarette and he says, no, I'm trying to quit. The same person walks up to the other person, walks up to them and offers them a cigarette and he says, I'm no longer a smoker. Which one makes it? The one who now identified as a non-smoker. The first guy still identified as a smoker. He did. You keep on telling yourself you're late for everything, know what you're going to be? Late for everything. That's what you made yourself to be. You keep on trying to tell yourself that Michigan's all right? The only time Steve amens. Isn't that amazing? (laughs) That's right. Another opposition we face with self when it comes to this, and this is, this is truth, this is, this is just practical stuff, is laziness. Boy, this will kill your growth. It's an opposition we face. Listen, I, I have no trouble vegging. None. I can do that. Laziness will kill your Christian growth. You know, it'll change it. All of a sudden, you'll determine I'm going to be faithful from whether it's devotions or whatever that might be. But all of a sudden, that laziness begins to creep in. That's a giant you've got to face. Opposition. Another thing we know, we can see a parallel between uh, the wilderness and really the church at Corinth, is maybe more so with numbers. I, I I could tie it in with Corinth, but that would be more difficult. And that is faith is required. It is. I mentioned before how due, due to where their growth was when they came up to this, uh, this circumstance in life that was requiring faith, they weren't in a position for it anymore. And, but think of what they've already seen where they never exercised faith. You know, as, as you see God work, it's designed to increase faith. It is. All right. Remember, faith is not the absence of doubt. There's no truth in that. There isn't. One of the best verses in the Bible for understanding that is where he prayed unto the Lord, uh, um, uh, Lord, I believe, help mine unbelief. And how the Lord responded to that positively. It's allowing faith to dictate the direction and decisions you make, not the doubt. If you're going to wait to a place of absolute no doubt, you no longer need faith. And you're never going to get there till you're in heaven. When we're in heaven, guess what? We don't need faith. It's been made sight. But had they remembered and allowed faith to grow in their heart, had, they, had, they, had the congregation thought, wait, what did we just see God do? Do you understand? They are not 12 months removed from the Red Sea. They're not 12 months removed from the Red Sea. 
I mean, literally walking on dry ground through a sea with a wall of water on each side with Pharaoh's army chasing behind them. Know what that that event should have served in their life as? A catalyst for faith. You should set up memorial stones, whether it's in your house or however, at those special times when you know God worked to remember them. So that they can serve when you're facing a future situation. You can remember, no, I've seen what God can do. I'm going to trust Him. I'm going to trust Him. The fact is the Lord will ask you to do things that require faith. He'll ask you to do things that your mind seemed impossible at the time. I mean, think what he's going to tell when they march around Jericho. I mean, what a, I, again, it's fun to preach on that just because of what, what takes place. I mean, the Lord's game plans, you're going to march around it, you know, once a day for six days, seven days, you're going to march around it seven days, you're going to, you're going to shout and, and launch some trumpets. And we know the story of all that had happened. It's living out Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. It's, it's making probably two of the most popular verses in the Old Testament. Trust the Lord with all thine heart and lean not into thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy path. Faith is required for that. And many times, what's interesting with faith, and he does that, the Lord many times will put you out of what your comfort zone is. Just like whether that was me growing up in Cleveland and everything else from my life experiences, even up to that point, even with nine years in the Air Force, because I was almost in the military in the Air Force. I got one laugh out of there. Nobody, everybody's sleeping. But then the Lord decides to call me to New Guinea. That was well, 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 well outside of my comfort zone. Faith. Another thing that I think is important. Determination. You see Paul stressing that to them. A determination. Well, I'm in numbers still. Let me, let me read a couple of verses here. I'm going to probably stay in 14 for this. Verse 2, the congregation is murmuring against Moses and against Aaron. The end of verse 3, they make the statement, which is shocking. We're not better for us to return into Egypt. And then they begin to game plan for that very thing. Let us make a captain and let us go back to Egypt. Let's go back to bondage. Incredible. When it comes to spiritual growth, and you'll see, I'm going to tie this in. I think you'll understand in a second. There, there, there needs to be a measure of determination in your life that you're going to go forward. That you're not going to keep looking back. That you're pressing forward. That you're not keep putting your hand to the plow and looking back. Putting your hand to the plow and looking back. That you want to move forward. This same area here is going to, is going to cause them to struggle the entire time in the wilderness, of looking back. Why? 
we can see the determination that Joshua and Caleb had. Wanting to go forward, pleading with them. No, we have this. The others were content. Instead of facing a battle, a measure of contentment came in to stay where we're at or go back. Listen, don't be satisfied with where you're at spiritually. Seek to grow closer and more and more, growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior. Looking to remove the enemies from your life. Not run from them or hide from them or stay on the other side. Say, listen, no, no, that's too serious right there. This is all you have of me. This is it. And boy, if you're going to do that, you better keep your eyes off the world and the attractions that it's constantly putting before you. Or soon, you'll begin to excuse in your mind why you can begin to go back. With determination comes discipline. Too often in our Christian life when it comes to spiritual growth, we tend to act on emotion instead of discipline. We need the times of emotion. Emotions are really good things. The Lord gave them to us for a reason. There are times we need those revival spirits and we're, we're refreshed. Those are really good things. But there has to come a point in time when you understand that if, 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 you're, if you can't allow your life to be lived by the emotion of a moment... You'll never go anywhere with your Christian life. Matter of fact, you'll struggle with a lot of relationships in your life. There has to be a measure that you have to choose discipline in your life. To say, no, I need this, I need this change, this is what needs to be. So that you do it even when you don't feel like it. So I can't do that. Listen, if you have a job, you can do that. How many times have you gotten up for work thinking, I don't want to go? I don't want to go. But you get up and you do it. Why? Well, because you have to. The problem is, we don't see this as a have to. Do you, do you understand? You need to pay your mortgage. Don't miss out on your mortgage. But this is more important than your mortgage. Don't miss your mortgage. Don't say the pastor said you can miss your mortgage because you had to read your Bible. That's not what I'm saying. I'm trying to get you to see this as a measure of importance in your life. So that you'll be in a place where you can exercise a measure of discipline. I'll finish two more here quickly. In each case, between the two, there were excuses as to why and to what was taking place. Many times we also can look for excuses as to why we're not growing spiritually like we should. Excuses like, excuses like this. You know what? My upbringing was too hard. And some of you went through in horrible upbringings that were incredibly difficult. But don't use that as an excuse for where your life is at this day right now going forward. Quit looking for reasons why it can't be done and look for why it can be done. Quit looking for all the reasons why you can't be spiritual. Put the excuses aside. 
Well, I just don't have enough education. Yeah, Peter, the fisherman from Galilee, was loaded with education. But you don't understand. It's, 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 it's my parents. It's my brother. It's, it's, it's my spouse. It's this. It's that. No, those are just excuses. You are responsible for your walk with God. You are. And if you're saved, you have God's indwelling spirit. It's not, it's not your background. It's not that other person. It's a choice that you are choosing to make because of your own flesh. But what we can do is, according to James is we can deceive our own heart. Do we believe ourselves? And you're just deceiving your own heart. Listen, all these different things are a part of life. We all have battles we face. We all have them. We just can't use them as excuses. Right now, there's people that I know, even some people that, that I love right now, that are using everything with COVID as an excuse basically to stay out of church right now. Incredible. What that shows is what, though? They were faced with something. It showed where they really were at. Because that's what draws it out. Trials and things. They, they, they can reveal what's really going on. See, the reason you're not growing is not because of your upbringing and not because of those different battles, not because of that other person. The reason you're not growing, it all comes down to our own submission to the Lord. The power for us to walk close to the Lord is not at all dependent upon your ability. It's dependent upon your availability. Now, saying, Lord, I'm here. Let me finish with this. For this, I've got to go to Numbers chapter 32. Go to Numbers chapter 32. And we can look at Paul's word in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, but Numbers 32 is, is where I want to go. It's going back over when the Lord's anger was kindled because of, of the response towards the promised land and the giants and the walled cities. And, and anyhow, verse 12, it's talking about how God, he ended up having all those die in the wilderness except for Joshua and Caleb. And so, anyhow, verse 12 says, Save Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, uh, the Kenizzite, and Joshua, the son of Nun, for they have wholly followed the Lord. So, in conclusion, I just want to say this. What they did was they wholly followed the Lord. You have to examine what is it that has your heart or has parts of your heart. To get to that place where we can't wholly follow the Lord. When you're there, by the way, that means growth is happening. Growth is there. You can see it with Joshua and Caleb. You can see it you know, with those. It's, it's when you're saying, you know what, Lord, I am yours. And the truth is the Lord desires all of you, not a part of you. And not only, I mean, he deserves it. I mean, it's his I mean, not only is it His, but there's not a greater choice you can make. There isn't. Not a greater choice you can make. We look at all the struggles and trials going on through the world. What's taking place? I mean, that's all. That's, we, we talk, that's all in prophecy. It's been predicted. The Lord said this is what's going to happen. But again, we know 
what's going to take place. I know that one day I am going to be living for an eternity in a, a, a new heaven and a new earth. Fast forward in a thousand years past all that. One day I'll sit down with Levi. I'll, I'll certainly know he was my son. We'll have conversations um, about things that have taken place, where we're at now, and I will school him in basketball so bad. I still can. I, I can't. I know. I know what's coming. Listen, the Lord desires us to grow. He wants all of you. Not just a part of you. Don't just say, Lord, all right, this is your part. Taste the Lord and see that He is good. See that there's nothing, that there's, and, and again, watch out for the lies of the devil coming in that's preventing you from seeing, uh, of even understanding what that means. He is what life is all about. He wants to see you grow. So what you've got to do is you've got to understand, okay, I've got to be able to remove those excuses. I'm going to have to determine to do this. There's going to be a measure of discipline if I'm going to grow. I need to put the things in place that's going to allow me to grow in my spiritual life and stay with it. Whether that's coming in the service, say, okay, I'm going to listen. I'm going to listen. So the time when I read, okay, when I read now, when I read God's Word, I'm going to stay faithful to it every day, and I'm going to read it. I'm not just going to check a box. I'm going to read it. When I pray, I'll pray. That's what I'll do. I'll pray. That's digging those ditches from my sermon so that you can now grow. But it takes a measure of discipline. You're going to have to face opposition. You will. You're going to determine, you're going to determine all right, I'm going to get up and have my devotions, and all of a sudden you're going to go to work tomorrow. Know what's going to happen? Your hours are going to get changed, as I had to happen to me, from 5 a.m. to 1 p.m. Oh, I, now I can't do it. I'm not getting up at 3. I'm not getting up at, I'm not getting up at 3.30. Why not? You can. Opposition will come. Be ready for it. With heads bowed and eyes closed. Let me ask this. Maybe you've been struggling with your salvation and you're not sure. You say, Pastor, I do need you to pray for me. I am not certain that heaven is my home. I have been struggling with salvation. Please pray for me. If that's you, would you just raise your hand for me? Let me see it. Let me I can pray for you. A couple of small children is all I'm seeing. If you put your hand up, I have not seen it yet. I would need you to do it again. All right, Christian. If there's an area or, or something else even the Lord dealt with your heart about, you need to come and pray. You come and pray. Father in heaven, bless this invitation, Lord. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Let's all stand to our feet. Page 282. And if you need to come and pray here this evening, come and pray. Oh.